भद्रम कर्णे शृणुयाम देवा भद्रम पश्येक्षभ स्थिरंगगम सस्तनु व्यशेम देवितयु स्वस्तिनाइंद्रो वृद्धश्रवा स्वस्तिनापूषा विश्वेदा स्वस्तिनस्ताक्ष्यो अरिष्टनेमी स्वस्तिनो बृहस्पतिर्दा ओ शातिशाशाति Let's just uh, chant the karikas, not the mantras from the beginning, but just the uh, verses written by Gaudapada. Have you got them, karikas, one to five? Karika one, the verses. can repeat after me bahish pragyo vibhur vishvo bahish pragyo vibhur vishvo yanta pragyastu tejasaha yanta pragyastu tejasaha ghana pragyas tatha pragya ghana pragyas tatha pragya ekaeva tridha smritaha स्मृता दक्षिणाक्षी मुखे विश्व दक्षिणाक्षी मुखे विश्व मनस्यंतस्तु तेजस मनस्यंतस्तु तेजस आकाशे चिदि प्राज्ञा आकाशे चिदि प्राज्ञा आनंदभुक्तथा आनंदभुक्तथाज्ञाजस्थूलर्पयतेजसम्रविविंदम्रविविंदम्रविविंदम्रविविंदम्रविविंदम्रविविंदम्रविविंदम्रविविंदम्रविविंदम्रविविंद
So, in the Mandukya Upanishad and the Mandukya Karikas which we are studying, we saw the self has, is, is analyzed as having four aspects. The self is analyzed as, uh, is demonstrated as having four aspects. Um, four aspects means, really speaking, it is actually pure consciousness and it is experienced in three ways. It is experienced in three ways. One is what we experience as the waking state, this state. In the waking state with a, a physical body and of course the subtle body, the mind also, we experience a physical universe. We experience it in terms of sights and uh, sounds and smell and touch and taste and, um, uh, uh, and all of this. So we experience a physical universe. That's one experience. The another experience is the same consciousness that is experienced with, uh, in a subtle universe. Uh, we experience it in the form of dreams. And the third one is a blankness, a deep sleep where there is no specific experience at all. So these are the three states in which we experience ourselves. A waking state, a dream state and a deep sleep state. In each of these states, we can speak of the um, individual and the cosmic. Okay, before that, so the example I have given earlier of gold, which is fashioned into three different kinds of ornaments. So you have a golden necklace, you have a golden bangle, you have a golden earring. Same, suppose, let's suppose the same piece of gold. It is fashioned by a jeweler into a necklace and maybe years later it is melted down and then again fashioned into a bangle and then again maybe it's melted down and made into a ring or something. Um, now the three names are different bangle, necklace, ring. The three forms are different, they look different. The three functions are different. A bangle is something you put here and the necklace is something you put here and the ring is something you put on your fingers. So the functions are different, the names are different, the forms are different. But in reality it is the same material, not even the same type of material. It is literally the same material which appears as the bangle and again as the necklace and again as the uh, ring which, is, uh, which appears here and here and here which has different names, bangle, necklace, ring. And yet, it's the same reality. Now, what is being said here is, it is the same consciousness which is experienced as this waking state. It's the same consciousness which is experienced as the dream experience. It's the same consciousness again, which is experienced as the deep sleep uh, experience. Now, so these are the three um, aspects, waking, dreaming, deep sleep, three aspects of the self, the gross, let us call it the self in its gross manifestation, self in its subtle manifestation, self in its causal manifestation. In Sanskrit, stula, sukshma, karana, yes. Yes. Yes, yes. Or subtle, 
Yes. Or rather, they're equally unimportant. <laughs> Think about it. Are the necklace and the bangle and the, uh, and the ring equally important? With respect to gold, they're all equally unimportant because it's the gold which is important. What Vedanta wants to tell you is, all three are equally unimportant because they're not real. In all of those three, the three man, uh, kinds of jewels which we saw, what was important? The substance, what, what, what would you touch? The gold itself. What would you weigh? The gold itself. What would you pay for? Basically, uh, is the gold is itself. So what is important and valuable and real? Because it's important because it's real. What's real? The gold itself. In the same way, in all of them, what's real? It's that consciousness itself. That's what the Mandukya wants to say. What, then what is the teaching of the Mandukya? Our present state is, we think they are not equally important. We think the waker is most important. Why? Because the waker is like fully real. And the dreamer is something that you do when the waker is not fully functional. You lie down and you relax and you have some dreams inside. So it's not really real. And the deep sleep is, it seems to us from our waker's point of view, basically nothing. A kind of situation of being switched off. Rest. So this is rest and this dreaming is just dreaming, relaxation. And waking is the real important thing. So this is waking world. This is important. This body is important. This is who I am. So our approach, common sense approach, the way we are in, uh, in our ignorance, according to Vedanta, is we privilege the waker above everything else. Whereas what Vedanta wants to say is, it's like saying the, the bangle alone is important. No. What Vedanta wants to say is that the gold is important. Whether it's a bangle or a necklace or a ring. Similarly, it is consciousness itself which is important. Whether it appears as a waker, dreamer or deep sleeper. Wait, one, one second. Are you done? Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, yes. Um, so, in, in these three states, huh. just based on one's experience. Yes. In your deep sleep state or dreaming, you have no volition. Huh. Step away from what? The dream or the nightmares or you know the, the good and the bad. The dream. What is so you are saying that in the waking state we have free will and others we don't. But I'm asking, do we or do we not? The lecture after the next one, we have a lecture coming up. Do we have free will? I in, uh, invite you to attend that lecture. That's. Not this Sunday, it's on Chaitanya. The Sunday after that, there's a lecture, do we have free will? And don't come expecting a solution to this problem. I'll give... <laughs> I'll, it's an ancient problem. Every religion, every philosophy has had something to say with it. And still today, we are struggling with it. Even neuroscience has something new to say about it. But still today, till today, we have no, come to no solution. Does the waker have volition or free will or not? And to, if so, to what extent? It seems we do. But upon, upon investigation, well, you'll see. The, what, what, what we'll talk about in that uh, talk on the, uh, two Sundays hence. But I'll point out one thing. You know what the Mandukya would say to you when you say that? The dreamer also feels that he has got free will. 
you don't feel in a dream, oh, I have no free will. You feel that, <laughs> you feel just like this. You feel just like this, right? So, yes, uh, your question. Um, I, I've been thinking about this for a couple of weeks, and um, I thought maybe I discovered a fourth state, hmm. but I imagine I haven't. Hmm. But there are neurological problems that we have. Hmm. We call it an awakening state. We call it, uh, well, uh, Alzheimer's or uh, schizophrenia and all of these related things. Yes. Where would you put those? They seem very real to the person who's having them. Yes. So where would you put those? Would that be like a dream state? Um, schizophrenia or uh, say Alzheimer's and all of that, mm -hmm. that is experience, right? Very much. So it's an object of experience? Yes. It could be in the waking state and in a dream state also I could experience impaired functionality? Yes. Yes. So it's an object of experience. It's like having a, f a fever for example. You have a flu or the fever, right? So physical illness and this is illness of the, of the subtle body, of the mind. Yeah, but what it does not change is that it is it appears to consciousness. The fourth stage which you are talking about is this basically. Number four here. This is the one reality which appears as the three. See the whole shift which Mandukya is forcing us to take a look at is that we think we don't know about the fourth one. Basically in this paradigm what we know about is one, two, three. And we think one is real. And two or three are secondary, unimportant. The second one is of importance only to you or to your um, therapist, the dreams. And the third one is of importance to almost nobody. Um, whereas Vedanta says all three are important, but also they all point to one unchanging awareness behind all three, in which all three are appearing. Uh, they are constantly trying to... Tell us, take a stand from this position and see that we go through these three kinds of experience in our lives. A causal, a subtle and a gross, a physical experience. So, yeah. did you answer my question? Where, do you think, where, did that, where do those crazy states go? Or those, uh, what we call crazy states? Or abnormal states like Alzheimer's or... It, it could be in the waking world. Yes, you are ex whatever you experience it in the wake, whatever you experience in the waking world is part of the waking world. Okay. Uh, and a similar thing, if you experience in dream world, it would be part of the dream world. Yes. But, but I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but um, sleeping is you really experience sleeping. Yes. Uh, totally, completely. Yes. You're experiencing it. Right. Well, schizophrenia is the same way. I don't think you feel that it's in a waking world. Maybe you do. Alzheimer's, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you think if you're in Alzheimer's that you're in a waking world, but I think you feel like you're in a totally different place. True. It might be a kind of impaired functioning. Because of impaired functioning, you don't, you're not, you don't feel fully conscious and alert. But you, even an Alzheimer's patient, if that person sleeps and dreams, might not be an Alzheimer's patient in the dream. Might be a dream of childhood quite free from the Alzheimer's. That means the consciousness itself can dress up in a subtle body quite free of the Alzheimer's of the waking state. 
based upon memories of the past. And when you see the blankness of deep, deep sleep, there is no specific experience. So neither the experience of health, nor the experience of Parkinson's, nor the experience of Alzheimer's, nor even the worst of schizophrenia. Nothing is there in deep sleep. And yet we have to admit that there is an experience called deep sleep. It's not a particular experience. It's rather all experiences crushed together into a mass, into an indistinguishable mass. That's what it says. All right. It generally applies to everybody. I even read a paper on ants. I was surprised. Ants having uh, deep sleep and dream. You couldn't imagine why would a tiny brain like that need to dream. So it doesn't make sense from a neurological or even a, 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 you know, physical sense. But they have, like we have REM sleep, rapid eye movement sleep. If you Google it, you'll find. Ants have RAM sleep, rapid antenna movement sleep. <laughs> They freeze for short times and the antenna moved in. <laughs> and they have deep sleep also. Why would that happen? This in fact gives more credence to the fact that these are actually states, not of consciousness, of the mind itself. Nothing to do with the physical body. Yeah, let's go ahead. Actually, I, I'm, I'm very happy you find all of this interesting. Vedanta says none of it is interesting. It's just labeling your day-to-day your -day experience. Remember... Vedanta is not interested in the waking state, nor in what we see in the waking state. Is not interested in the dream state and not at all interested in our dreams. Is not interested in the deep sleep state. It's just pointing these out as a doorway to the fourth, which is what Vedanta is interested in. I've come to you. Yes. So just to reverse the question the other way. The consciousness is all pervading, unchanging and why did he bother to Ah, very good, very good. Now we are going to, it's a question of creation. You see, he's asking why, if this is the fourth and this is the one real thing, which is appearing as these three, why? It's going to come now. In fact, Gaudapada is going to take up this question. It is the old question of creation. Do you see? Why did God or Brahman or Allah or whatever, why did it bother to create the universe? And there are many answers. There are many, many answers. But there's a one, a one unique answer in God, a very deep and very interesting answer in God of Father. It's a question that any human being can ask. It doesn't, you don't have to be religious to ask it. A cosmologist asks this question. Yeah. How did this, so how did this universe, how was it created? That's properly a scientific question. When was it created? That's a scientific question. And What's a moral question, a, a question, an emotional question to us, very important question, often asked with annoyance, why was it created? <laughs> so it, that, that answer is going to come now. Now let me, uh, you, you had a question. Yes. Okay. Now, not only is, you have a question, yes. I means uh, the Atman, the, ac the actual Atman, the Satchidananda. It still comes to the same thing. If this pure consciousness is what I am, truly, then how did I become all of this? Or why did I become all of these? 
the little waker and the dreamer and the deep sleeper and so on. Same question. In a philosophical sense, often it is asked, why, how did the one become the many? If there is at all the one, then how did, it, how did that one become the many? How did it become the many? When did it become the many? And why did it become the many? Why did it forget itself? Why did it forget itself? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sorry. Mm. All right. So Brahman got Alzheimer's. <laughs> Yeah, there's that joke, uh, funny and little, little uh, politically incorrect and cruel also. There's this uh, person who goes uh, um, to um, a guy, in a, you know, he has gone to a senior facility and he's very annoyed. And he's asking the person at the, uh, he, he's, uh, he's uh, oh, no, he's a preacher. He's a preacher with a flair for the dramatic. And he's talking to a group of seniors who are sitting there listening to him patiently. And he says, do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? And this little old lady sitting in the corner says, well, dear, you could ask them at the reception. They know everybody here. Don't you know who I am? Yeah. Yes. Do the teachers care um, that the scientists think there are many universes now, and there's lots of realities? And so yeah. I mean, even the wildest or the most magnificent understanding of the scientists would still dwindle to um, um, pale, uh, um, you know, like a. a uh, you know, uh, and a pale anemic descriptions compared to the mythologies of the ancient Hindus. So, <laughs> uh, you know, the Hindus would ask, do the scientists care that we think about thousands of universes and millions of creations? Yeah. And all of that, all of that, remember, this is the kind of final conclusion of Hindu thought. We'll see the, the rather incredible answer that today, Gaudapada, he gives to this question. He asked this question. Right now, it's going to, he's going to ask this question. So, if this is the one and all of these are appearances. Why? Okay. Oh. So, this is one thing. That one, like one gold appearing in, as three kinds of ornament. It is that one consciousness alone appears as the self in its gross or physical dress, in its subtle dress, in the dream state, and its causal dress in the deep sleep state. Not only that. In each case, in the waking experience, dream experience, and deep sleep experience, we have the experience of the subject and the object, of the individual and the cosmic, the microcosm and the macrocosm. Macrocosm, us, me. Macrocosm, the rest of it. Me and that. That's how, that's the fundamental structure of experience. Think about it. All experience is basically subject and object. Isn't it? Think about it. Whatever we experience, even a tiny ant will experience it as subject and object, will not use those words and will not philosophize about it, but knows it's me against everything else. So, the second point, yes? Sorry. So, the second point I want to make here, we know this, is that not only does this consciousness appear as the waker, dreamer and deep sleeper, but also the individual and the cosmic 
I, the waker, the waking subject here, me, Swami Sarvapriyananda, and this waking universe which I face, both of them, according to, Advaita, uh, according to Mandukya, are that one consciousness. So it appears as the individual and as the uh, total. The individual and in both in, in, in all three states, waking, dreaming and deep sleep. In the waking state, consciousness associated with one individual body and mind is called the waker. In, Engl in Sanskrit, Vishwa. Consciousness associated with the entire universe of the waking state is called Virat. So Vishwa Virat, the pair, are actually nothing other than consciousness in association with an individual gross body and the total gross cosmic universe. In the dream state, that very consciousness in association with one dreamer, dreamer appears as Taijasa, the Sanskrit word, the dreamer, Taijasa. And with the total um, world of all minds, association of, with, with all minds, it appears as Hiranyagarbha. So this pair, Taijasa, Hiranyagarbha, are the appearance of that one consciousness in the dream state. Individual, Taijasa, cosmic mind, Hiranyagarbha. And finally, in the causal state, deep sleep state, what is deep sleep for us is the causal state for the whole universe. In the deep sleep state, consciousness with all its knowledge lumped together into an indistinguishable mass uh, appears as pragya, the, in, the individual deep, deep sleeper. When each of us was in deep sleep last night, so we, uh, the term for us would have been pragya, each of us. And this entire physical universe, when it goes into a causal state, uh, then consciousness associated with that causal state is called, we are calling it Ishwara. The word used in the Upanishad here is Antaryami, but all of them, they mean the same thing, God. Okay. What is deep sleep to us, which we go through every day, at the cosmic level, that happens at the end of the universe. So remember, in Hinduism, we speak about many universes, many cycles of creation. It's a cyclical theory. So the universe was created, it came into existence, live, I mean, continued for millions of billions of years, and finally it is destroyed again. It goes back to its unmanifest state. So that unmanifest state is called the causal state at the cosmic level. The causal state at the cosmic level happens only once in billions and billions of years. So where the whole universe goes back into an unmanifested state. And again it's created. It comes back again. Just like our day, we wake up, we go to sleep, we wake up in the morning and the whole universe comes back again to us. Imagine that at the cosmic level. So at the cosmic deep sleep would be the destruction of the universe, the, the dissolution of the universe. All right. Now, what Gaudapada said, he gave a few verses, verses 1 to 5. In verse 1, he said, the waker is externalized, when consciousness is externalized through sense organs, that's called the waker. When it re retreats into the mind, that's called in, in sleep, in dreams, that's called the dreamer. And when it is merged in deep sleep, 
that's called the deep sleeper all of three all three are actually one consciousness that was mentioned in the first verse the second verse said you can meditate on locate for the purpose of meditation the waker dreamer and deep sleeper are located are given places in this very body the second verse says meditate on the waker on do you remember on the, on the in the right eye meditate on the on the dreamer in the mind meditate on the deep sleeper in the space within the heart these are for purposes of contemplation in the waking state itself in this body you can sit and meditate in sense you get a good sense of what is the waker what is the dreamer what is the deep sleeper for purpose of contemplation why would you want to contemplate to take this final step to understand ourselves as separate from these three and appearing as these three this these exercises are helpful then the third verse said that the waker uh, has physical experiences the dreamer has subtle experiences and the deep sleeper uh, experiences ananda or restfulness so what is the experience of each stage that's mentioned in third verse then the fourth verse says what satisfies each state uh, each uh, state the the self in each state the self in the waking state is satisfied by physical forms and tastes and smells and touch and all that the dreamer is satisfied by dream forms and dream tastes which are subtle and the deep sleeper is satisfied by by the bliss of or restfulness of deep sleep anyway now the fifth verse is important trishu dhamasu yad bhojyam bhokta yascha prakirtita veda etad ubhayam yastu sabhunjano na lipyate remember it is one consciousness appearing as individual subject and object in each of the three now in each of the three states whatever whoever is the subject and whatever is the object subject here waker object gross physical subject here dreamer object the dream world the the subtle things subject here pragya the deep sleeper object the restfulness so whatever is the subject and the object in each of the three states the one who knows them um one who uh, knows them together knows them together means one who can from this perspective can contemplate them together and this contemplation you can do right here in the waking state then what happens is as the states cycle through as you go and experience each of them in turn you are not affected this one is not affected by any of this it's an important point the waking and the dreaming and the deep sleep will keep coming and going with their joys and pleasures and sufferings and disasters but we will not suffer if you see see it in this way you do not suffer a good example is the waker does not suffer from the disasters and nightmares of the dream dream what happened in the dream which caused you terror and when you wake up you realize first of all you are free of it second nothing really happened from the point of you the real consciousness none of this really happened although you experience all of it so while experiencing all the three states while experiencing all the objects gross subtle and causal 
while experiencing all of them, he is not touched. Just illumines. Like the light illumines this book. The light illumines this book. The light is not polluted or, or improved or nothing happens to the light by this book. It just illumines it. And the light illumines this cloth now. Light is not affected by the cloth. So like that, you the consciousness, you enable experiences in waking, dreaming and deep sleep. Different kinds of experiences. Deep sleep, whenever we talk about experiences, object being experienced, remember it's with a kind of quotes. It's, uh, it's not really a specific experience. So the main point is you are unaffected. Just like the light which illumines objects is unaffected by the objects it illumines. Similarly, you, the consciousness, are unaffected by the experiences. You experience all of it, but you are not troubled when you take that standpoint. All these come and go, you, the self, stand apart. Aware. When do you stand apart? Right now, actually. Right now, actually. You stand apart. It's like saying, all the terrible things that happened in the dream, really you were safe and sound in the, in the, uh, on your bed and imagining all of that in your mind. Uh, it might seem unconcerned, it might seem callous to say that, oh, so many terrible things are happening and you say nothing is happening. But when you wake up, wouldn't that be true? Mm. Nothing did happen really. But, you, but nobody denies that you experienced it. Do you see the difference between being real and experiencing it? Right now, we think we are, ex we are experiencing it, no doubt. And we think this is the only reality. Just like in a dream, we experience it, no doubt. And we think it's real. But when we wake up, what happens? What happens? It's unreal. But do we deny that we experienced it? We don't say, we, we say it didn't happen. But do we ever say, I didn't dream? I, I did experience it, but it was a dream. When we say it was a dream, but it was a dream, when we say with a smile, it was not real. That's what we are saying. When we say, I experienced all of it, but the reality is this. That's what I'm trying to say. In this reality, all these three come and go. Hence, you are not affected by it. This one is neither born with the birth of the body, neither does it age with the aging of the body, neither does it get diseased. Alzheimer's with the disease of the body, neither does it die with the death of the body. This one is not affected by the nightmares, the good dreams and the bad dreams of the dream world. It is not affected by the darkness which experience it experiences in deep sleep. These three keep cycling, keep appearing and going. You, the consciousness, are unaffected by it, whatever the state. Yes. The moment you take a step back from here to here. When you take a step from here to here, you can say the experiences of the dream world were not real compared to my waking world. When you take a step back from here to here, you'll be able to say that the experiences of the waking world were nothing other than me, the consciousness, appearing as a waker and the waker's world. This shift is what Manduk is trying to do. So we ask, when will that happen? In the next class. <laughs> when we study the seventh mantra. Where it is going to talk. Till now, what have we done? The third mantra speaks about this. The fourth mantra spoke about the dream. The fifth and sixth spoke about the 
deep sleep. The seventh is going to speak about this. Now we are taking a break, a coffee break, <laughs> to sort of chew the cud. You know, the cows when they eat and then they sit and keep on munching. So we are chewing the cud about what we did, what did, what happened so far before we are ready to launch into the final thing, the seventh mantra, which we'll talk about this one. Okay, now this question is going to be asked. Why is, why did God create the universe? Simplest way, from a religious point of view, if you ask, why did God create the universe? From um, an Advaitic point of view, why is Brahman appearing as the universe? From an even more precise Mandukya point of view, why is this one consciousness, the so-called fourth, appearing as the three? You see, is, do you see it's the same question? It could have very well remained the same. I remember reading Somerset Mom when he became interested in Indian philosophy. He went to India. He actually met uh, Ramana Maharshi. He went to Ramana Maharshi's ashram and he had a kind of spiritual experience there in the presence of the Maharshi. Um, but I remember he writes that... Uh, According to Vedanta, it is Brahman which manifests this universe. The entire universe is projected by Brahman. And then he writes in his wry, humorous way, he writes, I feel Brahman could have let well enough alone. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the old question. There are, the question has some aspects. One aspect is, um, is how did God or Brahman or the fourth consciousness, how did it create all of this? One. Another question would be when? Two. Another question would be, yeah, that's the most important thing which bothers all of us. Why? Um, if you are having fun, we really don't mind. I'm glad God, God created whoever created, but don't bother me with all this. Now I'm having fun. But most of the time we are not having fun and then we feel why was I created in this limited, like sort of purpose designed to, to, you know, to get old and sick and troubled and, and this whole world seemingly created to torment me. So, so the whole thing, why was it created at all? Why did uh, God create it? Or if you say, I am the real me is at the source of everything. So the real me, whatever it is, why did it, why did it appear in these as the false me? And so on. So why? That's another question. And there are many answers to that. What Gaudapada will do is, he'll take up some of those answers and dismiss them and give his own answer. Which is not exactly what Advaita Vedanta, the, the Vedanta we have been accustomed to read, not exactly what that stays, says. Even something deeper than that. Quite startling. I'll give you a hint, a teaser of what's going to come. He's going to discuss the different answers. But basically his idea, Gaudapada's idea, and what he claims is the Mandukya Upanishad point of view, the whole question is misplaced. Why? You are asking why creation? The answer of Gaudapada is there is no creation. There is no creation at all. Um, it's like, according to Gaudapada, it is something becomes an unmanifest 
state and becomes manifest again and goes back into the unmanifest state and this cycles. If you ask, yeah, why that even? Why that even? Gaurapada will say that is basically the nature of that ultimate reality. It's basically the nature of that. The difference is like this. If I, if I go out, we have created a park. Why? For our pleasure. We have created this house because we need shelter. So we create things and you can ask, why did you create it? I put on a shirt. You can ask, when did you put it on? Why did you put this one on? You can add, and I can give you an answer. But you can't ask me, when did you put on your arms and legs? I, I came with these. <laughs> right? They are part of me. Uh, it's like a snail withdraws into its shell and comes out again. So you say, oh, why did you create a head and an antenna and all of this? So I didn't create it. It's always been there. I withdraw into a shell sometimes and I come out. It's me. It's like that. He will say, this is none other than Brahman. These three states, the waker, dreamer and deep sleeper, they are none other than the self itself. They appear in these ways. The appearance of the, of, of the self in these three states is the very nature of the self. It's, nothing, it's not a new thing which has been done by the self. Then why do we make this mistake? Are you following? We'll, we'll, this will be discussed again. But if that is so, if there is no new thing which is created, if there is no creation at all, then why is this question there? It's a question in every culture, every religion, every philosophy. So why do we ask this question? If the question itself is a mistake, why do we make this mistake? And Vedanta says, or Gaudapada says, that the mistake is very natural. Why? Because it goes from unmanifest to manifest, and back to the unmanifest again in Sanskrit, abhyakta to vyakta, vyakta to abhyakta. That's why we get the feeling something new has come. And we ask the question, why? But it's not something new. It's the same thing. It goes into a resolved state, deep sleep. And then appears as the waking world again. It goes back into the cosmic dissolution and appears as this magnificent, humongous universe. We think something new has been created. And we ask the question, why creation? Nothing new has been created. What always was is still there now. Even science says matter and energy cannot be created. Earlier they used to say conservation of matter and conservation of energy. But now after Einstein we know matter and energy are the same thing basically. So matter and energy cannot be created. They only cycle into different forms. So nothing new in the universe. Something out of nothing never happens really. So it is... Um, goes from an unmanifest to the manifest. That also is not unknown to us. But what is speciality of Gaudapada, he says, this unmanifest to manifest, where is the unmanifest? Here. Deep sleep. Where is the manifest? Here. So unmanifest to manifest and manifest to unmanifest. This cycling, Gaudapada says, he's the only one who said it, this is actually a part of the ultimate reality. A part of the ultimate reality, of Brahman, of, of uh, Turiya, of, 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 if you, of God, if you will. So it's nothing new that God has done. It's always been there. Well, the sea never exists outside the three states then. Which one? The sea can never exist outside the three states. Oh. Either manifest or unmanifest. Ah, second question. 
second part of this. Very good question. You, you know what was uh, her question? This consciousness does not exist then outside these three. If these are parts of this, this consciousness, so the consciousness will either always be waker, dreamer, deep sleeper. Either it will be deep sleeper or dreamer or waker. At any time. There is no such thing as see apart from these three. This last statement is important. There is no such thing as pure consciousness apart from these three. Very important question. What did I just say? These three states and their individual and total aspects, they are all parts of the ultimate reality. Now what she is asking is, in that case, is the ultimate reality anything apart from these? She is asking that. Okay, very important. On this hinges the entire Advaita Vedanta. We have come to a very crucial point, point here. Take the example of the gold and the ornaments. What you are asking is, bangle, necklace, ring. Is there anything called gold? It's always bangle, necklace, ring, right? The real answer is there is only one thing which is gold. The only reality is gold. But you deal with it as bangle necklace ring. Bangle necklace ring have no reality apart from the gold. So what Vedanta is saying, not that these three are there. Why, why do we ask this question? Because we seem to think these are real things and this seems to be vague and abstract. What Vedanta says, this is the reality. This should be vague and abstract to you. This one reality itself dresses up in three forms and these dresses are not real. These are three appearances of one unchanging reality. The appearances come and go as a matter of the very nature of that reality. One crucial point here. These three are false. This is real. As a result of... I'll come to you. This is very, 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 very important. You see, when I said... These three are parts of the ultimate reality. Immediately a question should have come. Didn't you say the ultimate reality is non-dual, partless, yeah. secondless? Right? We always say that in Advaita Vedanta. Now are you saying these are parts? So the, the, does the reality have four parts? There's one reality and three other minor parts. One, each of it which it brings out like a juggler when once in a while throws up in front of you. The answer is no. The reality is one and undivided. These three are not really parts. You just said they are parts. They are appearances. They do not enjoy the same level of reality as this. The bangle, follow this. The bangle and the necklace and the ring are not parts of gold. You see? Are the bangle and the necklace and the ring parts of gold? Are they features of gold? They are names and forms and um, functions. Which, which can be? Yeah. Absolutely. It can exist in other forms also. Or formlessly. And the answer is, this always exists outside these three and formlessly in itself. It manifests as these three. Why are we at all talking about these three? Because these three are the gateway to that. We have no other gateway. In our present state as the waker, these are the only th things which Upanishad can point to. They say, 
Pratipatti Dwara Bhuta. Pratipatti means understanding or enlightenment. Dwara means door. The door to enlightenment are these three. If it is entirely, in fact it's from Shankara's commentary, if this is entirely apart from these three, then there would be no way to those three, to, to that ultimate reality. We would only be trapped in this. If it is exactly the same as these three, there's nothing else, then it's not, it's not worthwhile. We already know these three and there's no, there'll be no end to our suffering. We'll just go on like this. Alzheimer's here, real Alzheimer's. Nightmare, there's a nightmare. Deep sleep is deep sleep. That's it, there's nothing more. Then what have you said in Vedanta? What is the new thing that Vedanta reveals? What the new thing that Vedanta reveals is there is an ultimate reality behind these three. There's the ground of these three and that is what you are. Tattvamasi. It says, I am Atma Brahma, it said that. Your very self, this self itself is Brahman, which appears as these three. What we are, take to be reality is actually appearance and the reality has to be grasped as me the reality. That, that rescues us from this suffering. And yet, this will go on. Because this is the very nature of that reality to appear in these forms. There is nothing new here. It will just keep on cycling between appearance and uh, disappearance. Manifest and unmanifest. Let me repeat this way. This is an extremely crucial point. There will be occasion to repeat it later on also. Before we go into the verses themselves. The fourth, pure consciousness alone is real. Its nature includes the capacity to appear as waker, dreamer, deep sleeper. With the waker's world, dreamer's world and deep sleep world. But, this is number one. Number two is, waker and its world, dreamer and its world, deep sleep and its world are not real in the sense that pure consciousness is. They are appearances. They are not really parts. The ultimate reality is not composed of parts. Shankaracharya puts it this way. Four aspects of the self. One real, three are in maya. Three are illusory. This Upanishad presents your reality as the fourth. So Shankaracharya adds there, maya sankhya turiyam. Counting in illusion we come to the fourth. Counting in illusion means the first three steps are false steps. They are not really there. It's not that gold is a fourth thing apart from three other things called bangle, necklace and ring. Gold is the only thing which appears in these three forms. Did you actually create a necklace? Our first answer would be, yeah, we created a necklace. Not really. The goldsmith just takes the gold and gives it a shape. The goldsmith did not create the gold. Changes the shape. But the goldsmith did not create the gold which constitutes the necklace or the bangle or the ring. Similarly, there is no creation here. It is one thing appearing in these ways. This is real and the important point is this is real and this is false. If it is false, it should not be counted. One teacher said, you and your shadow, example. So you don't say, I have come and I brought my shadow along. No, you can say I have brought my husband or children or uh, friends along. Okay, you can count them. You can't say I have come, we have come with our shadows. So there's your shadow right next to you. Each of you has a shadow. But you don't count it. Why? Though it's experienced. It's not a second thing apart from you. 
And yet it's part of you in one sense. Within quotes it's part of you. It's something that appears because of you according to the light. Sometimes it manifests, sometimes it disappears. This is like the shadow of Brahman. This is what Gaudapada is trying to say. And I think this is a very, it's a worthwhile uh, um, answer to take. First of all, there's no real thing called creation, number one. At that point, we are tempted to say, Advaitins, non-dualists. Yeah, yeah, we know that. We have always said creation is maya. Gaudapada gives a nuanced answer. He says, I'm not even saying it's maya. I'm saying it's the ultimate reality itself. It appears in these ways. That's all I'm saying. He's going to say that. I'll come to you. Yeah. I, just, I don't understand why there are only three outside of the four. It just seems like there could be a million. True. Sup- suppose you say, you want to continue? Or should I? No, that's good. If, 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 I, if I picked up on what you wanted to say. Uh, it could be, a question is raised, what about coma? What about being um, in a trance? What about being in, uh, in a drug-induced kind of alternative reality? What about uh, samadhi? So what about when Sri Ramakrishna is seeing a divine mother? Different kinds of states. Some are pathological, some may be spiritual, some may be mystical. What about those states? Aren't they more than that? Five, six, seven, eight other kinds of states? Right? Is this the question? This has actually been considered by Shankaracharya in the Brahma Sutra Bhashya. He says, it doesn't make a difference. Let me remind you again, why are we talking about these states? Because we are ignorant and we are trying to break out of this ignorant into the fourth. But this is also the most common human experience. Right, I'm coming to that. So, we are talking about it not because we are interested in the states. We are not even cataloging various kinds of states we may have. We are not doing that. There's something called the DSM-4, DSM-5, the doctors. Yeah, so that catalogs. We are not even cataloging. We are not, not into that. Uh, he points out there in the Brahma Sutra Bhashya that there may be other states. So he says somebody is knocked unconscious. He says that somebody hits, hits you with a club, which might not might not be very common nowadays, but I guess it used to happen in ancient India. You're knocked out with a club. One, another state. It's not quite deep sleep. And he points out the difference. Deep sleep, you go into it naturally. You don't get knocked out by a club on the head naturally. Somebody does it to you. And deep sleep is a restful state. And being knocked out by a club is assuredly is, is not a restful state. And so on. But he makes a crucial point that those are incidental or accidental. They come and go. Some come out of pathology. Some come out of you know, drug-induced states. Some come out of maybe cultivating spirituality, deep meditation and devotion to such a point that you actually experience God in particular forms. Those are high mystical states. But none of them are, are available to the common run of humanity. Nor are we, uh, nor need they be. These three are commonly available to us. In fact, even in these three, aren't, if you look closely, aren't there variations? Isn't there daydreaming? Aren't there, in dreaming, isn't there lucid dreaming? Right? In old age, doesn't deep sleep disappear gradually? Right? So all of these are, There are minor shades and variations in each of them. 
doesn't matter. The whole point of this is, let's take our common experiences, look into it and discover the underlying reality. If you're asking, are there, why only bangle, necklace and ring? Can't gold appear in a hundred different forms? Why a hundred, a thousand different forms? But take the three forms, I've given three examples and let's get to the gold itself. It may appear in a hundred different forms, doesn't detract from the point that it is gold. Whatever state it appears in, you're knocked out by a club or you get a mystical experience of Kali. You're knocked out by God or you're knocked out by a club. <laughs> in both cases, it is you, the consciousness, which is experiencing it. If this consciousness were not there, just imagine, suppose this was not there. Could you experience being knocked out by a club? No. Could you experience God? Could, could Kali appear to you? This is not there. To what would, would the Divine Mother appear? To what? To whom? Right? What religion? What atheism? What world? What dreams? What deep sleep? What would happen if this is not there? Nothing would happen. There would be nothing at all. So it is this one which shines upon all of them. These three states as well as as many as you would like to uh, add to you. Yeah, I'll come to you. Actually, my question was exactly what his question was. And then for one step beyond that, I would say, if we limited ourselves to just these three states, then we are putting structure. And once we put structure, then we are saying there are only three gateways to consciousness. There are only three ways for consciousness to manifest itself. That structure is actually limiting what we are defining consciousness as being all-pervading. Mm -hmm. Right, and so I guess what you're saying is this, these are three convenient ways for us to get absolutely. There. But there could be there could be super intelligent states that we have no idea about. That absolutely, that and there are. There, there are in and fact. So there could be many other doorways to get there. There are in fact. And that doesn't change anything. That doesn't change anything. That's what. That's <laughs> the beauty of Advaita Vedanta. What, what, for example, uh, Tantra or Patanjali Yoga would say, look. Yeah, you Vedantins, Advaita, non-dualists are very good. You've got these three states, but these are not helpful. After all, everybody wakes, everybody dreams, everybody sleeps. Who's enlightened? Nobody's enlightened. So I'm going to show you a different state, which is Samadhi. Okay, what's that? You don't have it yet. Look, here's the main thing. What's the, what's the problem about Samadhi? We don't have it. Do we daily go into Samadhi? No. <laughs> We, we are daily, we, we wake, we dream and we sleep. But we don't go into Samadhi daily. So the yogi will tell us, because you don't practice. Here are the practices, the eight-limbed yoga. You practice this sincerely for a very long period of time. Your mind will be tuned, focused, disciplined into intense concentration. And you will experience things which you have not experienced so far. And so you will... As Vivekananda said, if, I have an, if God exists, I must see God. If, God uh, if I have an immortal soul, I must know it. Um, so Samadhi is the doorway. That's what the yogi is claiming, Patanjali yogi. And Vedanta says, if that's all, my dear sir, the doorways, more convenient doorways are available right here. <laughs> I'm going to show you something that everybody shares. How long is this Samadhi of yours going to take to achieve? Try it 50 years and maybe, just maybe at the end of it, invest a lot of time and effort into it, you will get a doorway to the superconscious. And say, yes, but the superconscious is right here, right now. And here are the doorways always open to us. 
But then the yogi would say, if there are doorways, then why isn't anybody enlightened? Uh, then the Vedantin says, the problem is not the doorway. The problem is not a particular type of experience. The problem is we have not investigated it. The problem is ignorance. Ignorance is removed only by knowledge. And knowledge comes only by investigation. And this is what we are doing. Investigation. Investigation into the self. Okay, so far? You had a question? I'll well, come to you. I, I was just thinking, like, conversely, instead of many, can you just simplify it down to two, which would be just the manifest and the unmanifest? Very good question. It's going to come a little later. After the seventh mantra, there will be other karikas which Gaudapada will point out. In fact, he's going to say, actually, there are not three states. He's going to simplify it further. There are only two states, the manifest and the unmanifest. The unmanifest is deep sleep and the manifest is waking and dreaming. Waking is one kind of manifest and the dreaming is another kind of manifest. And he'll even say, there are only two states. One is sleep and the other one is dreaming. So what about waking? That's a dream too. The two, you have two kinds of dreams. One is what you call waking, other one is what you call dream. Both are dreams. Actually, if you look at it from the point of pure consciousness, if this is real and these are not, in that case, these are you're comparing two levels, two different kinds of unreality from this point of view. That's why Nisargadatta would say, remain as this self with the capital S. Be unconcerned with the mind. The mind wakes, dreams and sleeps. Be unconcerned with it. It'll do its thing. Be unconcerned with it. It's not happening really. So he would say there are only two states. Sleep and dream. And dream is of two kinds. Waking and dreaming. He even goes, makes it even more plain. He says there are only two states. Ignorance and error. Deep sleep is ignorance. Deep sleep is ignorance. And waking and dreaming are error. Waking and dreaming are error. As long as we are not enlightened. When we are enlightened, we know that we are the pure consciousness. Yes. Maharaj, if I take these three words, independent, false and real, hmm. and put it in the context of that, uh, often contested question of, is the world real? Dwaita say that it is, the Advaitas say it is false, hmm. and Thakur says that the world is real as Brahman. Hmm. Now, given your example of the person and the shadow, I'm going to say that the shadow is best categorized as something that's not independent. Hmm. I wouldn't say it's false. Hmm. Now, if I were to pull this line of thought, then what is the Advaitin saying? Is he saying that the world is not an independent reality or is it, are they saying it's false? It's not independent and it's false. How? See, the shadow and this physical body, they belong to this waking reality. Physical body belongs to the waking reality and the shadow also belongs to the waking reality. But the shadow is dependent on the physical body. To up to that extent the thing is right. But the dream world is not only dependent on your waking world because it arises from the waker's mind when the waker goes into sleep. But it's also false because none of the events in the dream world actually happened. When you wake up you don't say that Oh, I won the lottery in the dream. I'm rushing to the bank to see that I hope they have updated my accounts and I've got a million dollars. No, because that even did not happen. That's a dream. So the dream world is false and also dependent on the waking world. 
Advaita Vedanta is saying all of these are, first of all, they are not independent. They wouldn't exist without this. One. Second, they are false because they don't exist on the same plane. The body and the shadow ex exist on the waking plane. They do not exist on the same plane as pure consciousness. This is the absolute truth. These are on a lower level of truth. Imagine what would happen if these existed on the same plane. If they existed on the same plane, every misery, every sin, every disaster, every horrible thing that happened in the waking world would be absolutely true about pure consciousness also. Then what's the point of pure consciousness? How can uh, your, all your miseries be solved by knowing yourself with pure consciousness? So in that context, how do we interpret Thakur's statement that the world is real as Brahman? World is real as Brahman means none of this has any reality apart from Brahman and they are not equally real as Brahman. It is Brahman alone which is appearing as the world. That is real, yeah. In fact, when you asked about dualism and non-dualism, one great scholar of dualism who visited our university in Belurmat, you know the three main brands of Vedanta, non-dualism, which is this, which we are doing, and then qualified monism, Vishishtadvaita, of Ramanuja, then dualism, Dvaita, of Madhva, and what are their differences? It will take up several lectures. But basically, um, non-dualism says Brahman alone is real. The world is an appearance. Brahman alone is real. The world is an appearance. And who are you? You are Brahman. Brahma Satyam, Jagat Mithya, Jiva, Brahmhevanapara. That's what non-dualism says. What does Vishishtadvaita qualified monism say? Not this. They don't agree with this. They say... There are not several levels of reality. There is only one reality. And in this reality, God is the whole of which we are parts. Whole and part. God is the totality. And we are parts. We means physical bodies and sentient beings are parts of God. And duality, dualism, what does it say? Uh, it says that we are not parts of God. There is only one reality. The world is very much real and there is only one reality. And we are not parts of God. We are separate from God. God is like the ruler and we are dependent subjects. It's very close to, in some ways, to the Semitic religions, the, the dualistic Vedanta. In fact, I've seen Christian theologians feeling more at home with Ramanuja's philosophy. They feel very uncomfortable with Shankara's non-dualism. Now, the, yes? Anathema, yeah, yeah, it, it's terrible. You are God, it's terrible. Yeah. Uh, uh, Professor John Thatamanil, who came here on Sunday, he said, we, somebody asked him, what is Christian non-duality? He speaks about a Christian non-duality. He said, it's always been there. There have been mistakes like Meister Eckhart and others, but they tended to get burnt at the stake. So, <laughs> so even now it's not accepted fully, but yeah, now it's, the problem is not there so much. Now, but whereas here it was mainstream, in Vedanta it was mainstream. But my point is, there was a dualist philosopher who came, to our university in Belur, and he told me something interesting. He said, the same Upanishad, if you ask it three questions, you will get these three philosophies. If you ask it the question, what is real and what is false, the answer will be the non-dualist system of Shankara. Brahman alone is real and this is false. If you ask it the question, what is the complete whole total picture and what is partial, 
the answer will be Ramanuja's qualified monism. The totality is God and partial, the, the individuals, we are, the individ we are individuals, parts, part and whole. And if you ask it the question, what is independent and what is dependent, then you will get Madhva's dualism. You say God is the sole independent reality of this universe and everything else depends on God's will or God's power or God. So, three questions, you generate three different philosophies, which then spend the next few thousand years fighting with each other. <laughs> All right, now, one yeah. 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 We, we have not said it yet. We'll come to it later. Yes. Let's say the unmanifest state is ignorance. Yes. And, so and deep sleep. In deep sleep. So the, that the pragya state mm. that we're talking about. So Ishwara by that example is also ignorance. Ah, but pragya is ignorance. Right. And Ishwara state is not ignorance. You see, these are parallels. For example, I, the waker, individual being, am tiny. And the waking world, would you say it's tiny? No, it's vast. Literally, consciousness associated with the waking world is called Virat, which in Indian languages means the vast. Similarly, Ishwara, I am, Pragya has two meanings. One meaning is essentially ignorant, Prayena Agyaha. And the other meaning is Prakrishtena Agyaha, omniscient. The word itself can be derived in two ways. Ishwara has full knowledge. Why full knowledge? Because the entire physical universe, subtle universe, exists with Ishwara in an unmanifest state. All the seeds are with Ishwara. So Ishwara knows everything about everybody. Ishwara is not ignorant. You know, so we, we say that when you use the word ignorance, we are associated with ignorance, so Ishwara should be even more ignorant. If I am a fool, Ishwara should be the God should be the biggest fool. No, it doesn't work that way. Sri Ramakrishna put it very beautifully. He said, the serpent has, with, with one bite, it can make its prey, a frog or a mouse, faint or die. That's only a tiny bit of the poison. But it's got the entire poison in its mouth, in the glands. It doesn't do anything to the serpent. It's in fact the serpent's power. It's not a weakness or, or a, a danger to the serpent. It's the serpent's power. Similarly, Maya is the power of Ishwara which is the cause of the gross universe and the subtle universe. So, Ishwara, God is omnipotent, omniscient, uh, omnipresent, yeah. omni-everything. Omni means everything, basically. So, just the opposite of us. Yeah. Um, another modern example that Swami gave was, we all have one vote, and so we are subjects. But when we get, give all our votes, the guy who gets the, all the votes is the president or the prime minister is the ruler. So you get all the votes, you become the ruler. You get one vote, you become the ruled. You say, if one vote makes me the ruled, you get more votes, you'd be even more ruled. No, you become the ruler. That's a nice way of putting it. All right, let's go ahead now. Now, I've, we can go faster. I've set the stage. By now, you might have forgotten. What was the question? The greatest of all questions, why did God create the universe? Why did the one become the many? Or in Mandukya, why is one consciousness appearing as waker, dreamer and deep sleeper? Why is the all-pervading, unchanging consciousness appearing as this non-pervading, changing guy? Yeah. Here are the answers. Some of the answers. 
He will take it up again in detail in the third and fourth chapters. But now, just provisionally, he gives us some answers. Karika 6. Prabhava Sarva Bhavanam Prabhava Sarva Bhavanam Satamiti Vinishchaya Satamiti Vinishchaya Sarvam Janayati Prana Sarvam Janayati Prana Jetong Shun Purushaf Prithak Jetong Shun Purushaf Prithak it is a well-established fact that origination belongs to all entities that have existence. Prana creates all objects. Purusha creates separately the rays of consciousness that are living creatures. This requires just a little bit of uh, explanation. Look at that, it's really heavy. <laughs> I hope it lets off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it says, all things that exist, it is well, well known, or at least it's a common understanding among philosophers, scientists, among everybody, that these things have originated. All these things have come from some cause. Something, from something they have originated. So what have they originated from? He says, all insentient things, matter, time, space, energy, all of that, he uses a word prana. Don't be confused by this. He uses two words, prana and purusha. Prana simply means the maya principle. You see, um, the, the universe in its causal state. So consciousness associated with the universe in its causal state. That's the word used here, prana. It just means Brahman. It means Ishwara, God. Now, Ishwara or God has two aspects. One is the consciousness and, this, and the other aspect is Maya. What is Maya? This is the causal state of the universe. This is the one which manifests into subtle and gross and again goes back into a causal state. Consciousness remaining unchanged. This plus this is called Ishwara. Now when you emphasize the Maya aspect, the word Prana is used. It's like this. The example they give is the spider. The spider builds a web, spins a web out of its own body. Now, the spider is the cause of the web. They ask a question. A cause can have, there are two, two kinds of cause can be there. A material cause and an intelligent cause. So, for example, when a carpenter comes and takes a log of wood and makes that lectern, so the lectern, the cause of that lectern is twofold. The wood itself, which has been fashioned into that lectern, and the carpenter. So the carpenter will be called intelligent cause. And the wood is called the material cause. The material cause itself is transformed into the effect, that is, product, that is the lectern. Similarly, in the case of Ishwara, there is no separate material cause and separate intelligence cause. Ishwara alone is the material cause. Ishwara alone is the intelligent cause of the universe. Example, spider. The spider, the body of the spider is the material cause of the web. Are you with me? And the sentient creature called the spider, the intelligence within that, that little body, that is the intelligent cause of the web. So the spider in itself is called the 
the one intelligent and material cause of the web. Similarly, God or Ishwara is called the one intelligent and material cause of the universe. If you emphasize the Maya aspect of it, the material aspect of it, then you call it Prana. You're calling the whole thing Prana. If you emphasize the Maya aspect of it. What is actually transformed into the universe? What is actually transformed into the web? The body of the spider, a part of the body of the spider. What is actually transformed into the universe? Maya. When the universe is in, deep, in, in, in dissolution, that's why it's called causal. Maya is the material cause of the universe. From it comes all the minds and the physical things of the universe. So when you emphasize the material aspect of it, like you emphasize the, the body of the spider, the material of the web, you emphasize Maya aspect of it, what constitutes this universe. That's why in India, you will find, there's a common saying among ordinary people, and they will very casually say, Sab Maya hai, everything is Maya. Basically what, they, what the, the philosophy is, is, this Maya alone has been transformed into the subtle universe and the gross universe. All the seeds are there. So it's like, I'll come to you, let me finish this. If you emphasize the, the matter and energy and time and space, then they all came out of Maya. They were in the causal state there, now they have been manifested. And that is called prana. So from prana comes all the insentient universe. What about us? What about us? He says, we are sentient beings. So this sentience comes from the consciousness aspect of Ishwara. That gets reflected in the minds as reflected consciousness. This consciousness gets reflected in the minds. Where did the minds come from? The minds came from Maya. So consciousness gets reflected in the minds and then starts act acting as wakers and dreamers. Us. So the consciousness that we feel right here now is not the original consciousness. It's a reflection of this original consciousness in minds which are generated from Maya. So when you talk about the consciousness aspect, the term used is Purusha. When you talk about the Maya aspect, the term used is Prana. But here in this case, in this verse, both Prana and Purusha refer to Ishwara. This, uh, this one, the, the cause of the entire universe. Just one point here. This is not entirely something that Gaudapada suddenly struck him. And then he starts answering these questions and taking up these questions. Actually, this is generated from the sixth mantra. The sixth mantra you will see uh, in the Upanishad, it says that the causal state, Ishwara in the causal state, Prabhava Apyayohi Bhutanam, it is the source and the dissolution of all beings. It says in the sixth mantra, it is the great Lord, the, the, the cosmic causal state, the deep sleep state, the cosmic level is the great Lord, it is God, it is the source of all beings. You see what is the language used? Um, it is the source of all beings, it says. Esha Sarveshwara, it is the great Lord. Which is which one? This one. It is the great Lord. Esha Sarvagya, it is all knowing. Esha Antaryami, it is Ishwara. Yoni Sarvas, Yoni means the source, the source of everything. Prabhava Apyayo Hibhutanam, the, the origination and the reabsorption of all beings is this causal state. So, this is what Gaudapada, this is what triggered Gaudapada into writing these verses. You can ask, why is it the cause of all beings? Why is this happening? 
So Gaudapada says, from the consciousness aspect comes us, the sentient beings. And from the Maya aspect comes all our bodies and minds and these universes. So that's the meaning here. Let me just finish the verses. Um, we have we have 10 minutes. We have already done this actually. So it will be useful if I finish. I will, I'll take questions if we have time after that. I'll take questions. But these are now, now this question will arise. Why at all? Why is this game going on? So he gives this answers. First he will give the answers given by others. And then he will give his own answer. Seventh verse. Vibhutim prasavam tvanye Vibhutim prasavam tvanye Manyante srishti chintakaha Manyante srishti chintakaha Swapna maya Swapna maya sarupeti Swapna maya sarupeti Srishti ranye vikalpita Srishti ranye vikalpita Others steeped in cognition about creation consider origination as an exuberance of God while by others it is imagined that creation is comparable to dream or magic. Basically what it is saying is different theories. One is Vibhuti. Vibhuti literally in, in Sanskrit or in Hindi means glory, power. This is the most common idea in different religions, theistic religions of the world. God is the almighty creator of the worlds. So these worlds are the glory, the, the manifestation of the power of God. That's one theory. Then another theory, uh, Swapna. It's the dream of God. So there's another theory that some uh, thinkers in India had. The beautiful depiction of Vishnu, who is basically a couch potato. He lies on the cosmic serpent, um, Sheshnaga, thousand-hooded serpent, on the cosmic waters of dissolution here, causal state. This causal state, this, this dry, abstract philosophical concept is given such beautiful imagery in uh, Hindu iconography. You will see a vast ocean, water without end. And then you see this tremendous serpent, Sheshanaga, on which Vishnu is dozing. His eyes are half closed. And he dreams the universe. So the world is a dream of, of, of God. Another, another theory. And third is Maya Sarupi, the magic. It's, it's like a magic show. Like a magician puts forth a magic show, so the world is a, like a magic show. Another theory. None of these Gaudapada agrees with. Number eight. Icha matram prabho srishti. Icha matram prabho srishti. Iti srishto vinishchita. Iti srishto vinishchita. Kalat prasutim bhutanam, kalat prasutim bhutanam, manyante kala chintaka, manyante kala chintaka. There are other experts on creation. These are all different theories of creation. The other experts on creation, once some, some say, Icha matram prabhu srishti. It is the will of God. Just by the will of God, God creates this universe. Uh, it is God's will. And why did God will it? Yeah, we cannot say it's God. It's, uh, often in the gospel of Ram, Ramakrishna, Sri Ramakrishna says, it is the will of God. What, what can we understand? So this is a theory. It's the will of God. Uh, and there may be many reasons for the will of God out of loving kindness 
what's the kindness in creating this world? They will say, because we have past karmas, we have to experience the results of karmas and we have to work our way to enlightenment. For that we need a universe and God out of his compassion has given this universe. One theory, take your pick. It's a supermarket of theories. You can, you can pick whatever you like. So, Icha Matram, it's based just the will of, of God which leads to the universe, creation of the universe. Another theory is Kala from time. So, there was this whole group of people there, even now they are in India. They give all importance to time. Origination, existence and destruction all depend on the flow of time. So, time itself is just the source of everything. There are people who are very worried about the auspicious time for this or auspicious time for that. Uh, to start this work or to, uh, to do something. Um, so, huh? Sri Ramakrishna, uh, most religious people in India were very particular about holy uh, auspicious times and all of that. And so there are people who give all importance to time. Because of the flow of time, universes come into existence, universes exist and universes again dissolve in time. That's another theory, none of which Gaurapada agrees with. Now he's going to come to one or two more and then give his own theory and stop. We already know what he's going to say. Bhogartham srishti rityanye Bhogartham srishti rityanye Kridartham miti chapare Kridartham miti chapare Devasyesha swabhavoyam Devasyesha swabhavoyam Aptakamasya kaspriha Aptakamasya kaspriha some others, so whenever in, science, in these philosophical texts you say, some others say, you immediately know it's not the author's point of view. He's saying there are others who say that. Some others say that creation is for the enjoyment of God. Bhogartham. Um, while others say it is for his sport. Krida. It's play. Leela. The divine play of God. But it is the very nature of the effulgent being. Deva literally means the shining one. It's a very beautiful name. Normally, that's the name given to any god, any form of god in India. But literally, here he's using this word, a very common word in India. But that's the best word for pure consciousness. Because what it does, it shines. He gives his own theory here, his own answer. It's the very nature of the shining one. It's nothing separate from him that he created or he originated for which you have to give a reason. It's just like that. Just like your own shadow. It appears, exists and disappears in him again and again. It's the very nature of this, this shining one to shine forth in that way. It is nothing, first of all, it is nothing separate from pure consciousness. And it is not real also. If it was real, then the pure consciousness would be trapped in a real creation. It's not real. It's of a lower order of reality. So hence, it is not a second thing. You cannot say, oh... It's a part of God, so, or it's a part of the pure consciousness. So there is pure consciousness plus this whole um, tangle which keeps coming and going. So there are two things. No, there are not two things. There is only this one. And this one cannot be counted because it is Maya, it's an appearance. Now what are the other um, theories they took up? Bhogartham. So in, all, all these have, have their basis in the Upanishads, in the Vedas. In one place in the Vedas you find God gets lonely and wants to enjoy, wants to experience himself or herself or itself and creates this universe, projects this universe 
It's like creating a mirror to see one's own face. That's a very poetic way of looking at it. The God created this universe to see himself or herself. Or another variation on this theme is, there's no real reason for creation. God is just doing it to play, to have fun. It's fun for God, but not it's death for us. As somebody said to Sri Ramakrishna, Sri Ramakrishna said it is the play of God. And a devotee said in the gospel of Ramakrishna, it could maybe the play of God, but it's death for us. What kind of God is that? And Sri Ramakrishna's answer, do you know? He said, ah, but who are you? You see? If you take a stand here, it is death for us. It's disastrous for us. You take a stand here, you could very well say play. Yeah, it's a play. Um, it's entertainment. In fact, do you remember the story that I told you? Um, Alan Watts, God, it's a very nice, like a children's story, but a very beautiful story. He said God uh, was all alone and he grew lonely. So he wanted to play. But who could he play with? Because God was all alone. There's only God. But God, being God, was very clever. So he hit upon a plan. He pretended to be not God. How did he do that? He pretended to be you and me and him and her. Not God. And now God could play. Hide and seek. With whom? With you and me and him and her. But then what happened? Because God is very clever. I'm quoting his story. He tells it like a children's story. Because God is very clever. He's awfully good at what he does. So when he pretended to be not God, he forgot that he was God. And from that time onwards, he has been searching for himself. That's you and me and him and her. We are all searching for God. God searching for God. And that explains the universe. But that's this theory. That it's play. Which, which again Godapada rejects. The, he's, he's a dry old philosopher, no sense of humor. I mean, I would, I'd like this, it's a cute theory. You know? <laughs> he, Gaurapada says, no, no, no. He cuts down all these theories with one hammer blow. What's the hammer blow? If this is real, if this is all that there is, infinite consciousness, it is completely fulfilled, it is infinite. What could it want? Why would it want to play? Why would it want to experience anything? Why would it want to display power? To whom? One old Swami put it this way. When the king sits on his throne with a huge canopy and surrounded by um, courtiers and soldiers, he's displaying power. To whom? Not to himself. To, to everybody else. So whom would God display? Whom would this consciousness display power to? So how could it be the power of God? How could it be a display of power? Why would this consciousness dream? It's a dream of God. Why would it dream? The dream is just a metaphor. How could it dream? It doesn't have a mind. It's mindless. Minds come here only. So how could it dream even? Neither dream nor a magic show. Why is this consciousness behaving like a street juggler? Showing a magic show. Why? Why would it show a magic show? Why would it show power? Why would it dream? Why would it want to experience anything? Why would it get lonely? Why would it want to play? If it is infinite. All these are our superimpositions and we are struggling to answer a question which Gaurapada says, you need not answer at all. 
He does not solve the question. He dissolves it. He says, they are none other than this ultimate reality itself. It's not doing anything new by shining forth in these ways. It's its very nature. If I put on a shirt, you might say, why did you do that? When did you do that? How did that come? But you never say, when did you put on your hands and legs? They are part of me. They are my very nature. Similarly, all of these is basically the shining forth of Devasya Esha Sobhavayam. It's the very nature of the shining one. It's a slightly inscrutable answer, but an unassailable one. And this is not the normal answer which Vedanta gives. Vedanta normally gives the answer of Maya. God shining forth through Maya. Through Maya, God has created. And there are many ways which you deal. Why would God do that and all of that? But this is not what he says. He says it's the very nature of God and the question about creation need not be answered. It's not a real question. If you take this standpoint, you will immediately realize it's not a real question. One interesting thing is, enlightened people need not be non-dualists. Enlightened people of all religions, of all ages, they don't have this question. Have you noticed? Whether Ramakrishna or Ramana Maharshi or anybody, they don't have this question. They enjoy God's creation. They are lost in the bliss of their, their realization. It doesn't bother them, this world. Depending on their background, devotion or knowledge or something, they'll have some angle on it. But it doesn't, it's not a serious question for them anymore. It's a question only for this chap. Us, right now. Okay, that's it. Now we are ready for illumination. The seventh mantra. Remember, what Gaudapada says, till now, whatever we have done, till this point in our classes, not one new thing has been said. In all these terms and terminologies and Sanskrit and all of that, we have just pointed out certain things each of us always has. Just labels, yes. Right. Being of the Correct. Correct. What she's talking about is the Maya um, concept. The question is this why did God create? If we dispense with all the dualistic answers for play or for out of love for us, you know, if you, any of those answers, you can push it back till it becomes incomprehensible. You say, we have got, suppose, a, a, a standard answer is we all have past karmas, we have had many lives in the past. And we'll keep having karmas till we get enlightenment and get freedom. But then you can always ask the question, when did the first karma start and why did God start that, even that? So then none of these will give you real answers. What Advaita finally does is, there is no real creation. These are all projections of Brahman due to Maya. So these creations are not as real as Brahman. They, just, they are just appearances, like dreams. These, these universes and these bodies and these lives. At this point, so the answer is, it's all Maya. At this point also, I'm sure the question in your mind will be, as it was in my mind, why Maya? Why even Maya? Why not just pure consciousness, Brahman? So why even Maya? Here, Swami Vivekananda says, the question is wrong. Why did the one become the many? He says, why, why Maya at all? 
he says the question is wrong. I'm working up to what you said. And he leaves it at that in the Jnana Yoga. He does not go into details and explain why the question is wrong. But I, like a five-year-old kid, you know, they don't stop asking why. So I can ask, why is the question wrong? No. Somebody say, you, you, you can't ask this question. I'll say, why can't I ask this question? Give me a reason why I cannot ask. And it took me a quite a long time to come to the understanding what, what you just pointed out. Why is the question wrong? You know why? Maya is space-time causation. Maya is space-time causation. Desha Kala Nimitta, space-time causation. By the way, it's remarkable how Kant and Shankara came to very similar conclusions a thousand years apart. Uh, space-time causation. Asking why Maya is a wrong question. Why? Why, if you say why? why is it a wrong question? The answer is, what are you asking for when you ask a question? When you ask why? When you ask why? You are asking for a cause. Why is it raining? Why is it snowing there? Say because of the nor'wester. Don't look so surprised. It is snowing. <laughs> he didn't expect anything else, did you? <laughs> why is it snowing? Because of the nor'wester. You ask why the nor'wester? Because of um, you know the, the evaporation of water and collects in clouds and all of that. Why is that so? Because of the sun. So you are asking why and what, what will satisfy you? A reason, a cause. When you, say, when you ask why, you're asking for a cause. You look at something and ask for a cause of this. And if I can give you a cause, you are satisfied. Okay? So, why means you're asking me for a cause. Maya is causation itself. Time, space, causation. Causation starts with Maya. If you're asking why causation, you're asking for a cause before there was any causation. It doesn't make any sense. It's like time. Time starts with the universe itself. If you ask what happened before, what was there before time started. If you ask this question, question is wrong because the very words before and after are time words. Before time, this, the question itself doesn't make sense. It's a time word, beginningless. Uh, it says, so there is no before that. If you ask space, what's outside space? The question is wrong. The question is wrong because outside and inside are space words. You can't ask what is outside space. Like a balloon, there's inside the balloon and outside the balloon. You can't ask what is outside, outside space. It's not like that. Similarly, since you cannot ask what is outside space, since you cannot ask what is before time, you cannot ask what is why causation. Why Maya? Because Maya is causation. You can't ask what was there before Maya, outside Maya, why Maya. So why before and where, when and why. Where means space, when means time and why means causation. These three you cannot ask about Maya. That's why the question is wrong. Now this is the standard answer of Advaita Vedanta. In Jnana Yoga, this is one of the kind. And it convinced me. This is the usual position I take. This is the answer which convinced me but personally. And it took me quite a long time to understand. But Gaudapada is not saying that. He's not saying that. He's taking a different track. And it's unique to him. He says, Devasyesha Swabhavayam. There is no creation at all. 
It is, there is only one Brahman alone which shines forth. And in one sense, this is the point of view of an enlightened person. There is no separate thing to explain. It is literally all Brahman. The second thing requires an explanation. There is no second thing from his point of view. From his point of view, all things are in me. All things are in me and I am in all things. What are you asking for an explanation of? It might be difficult to get our minds, wrap our minds, but we begin to see what he's pushing for. The Maya explanation is the standard Advaitic explanation, this one, why you cannot ask about Maya. So that's a standard Advaitic explanation, it makes some kind of logical sense or a logical sense. But this is an even more sophisticated approach. This is called Ajati. Ajati means non-origination. Here, the, the Shunyavada Buddhist, the Buddhist of, uh, of the void, you know, the Tibetan Buddhist philosophy, and Advaita and uh, Gaudapada, they are same. In fact, Ajati is a word borrowed from, uh, um, from Mahayana Buddhism, Buddhist philosophy. So he will talk about it later. Um, in the second chapter, he will say startling things like, there is no beginning of the universe, there is no end of the universe. There is no creation, no cessation. There is no bondage and no liberation. There is nobody who is trying for liberation. Nobody who gets free, nobody in bondage. And that's it, that's the final statement. Oh, then there is pure consciousness and I am all of that. He just said nothing like that. Just this thing what you think is not real in itself. And he stops it there. So he will say things like that, at the, and the, and the, but this is Mandukya, you should be ready for uncomfortable things. Alright, we'll stop here. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Shri Ram Krishna Rupanam Astu